0: First John, the epistle of certainties, it has been called, and we are studying that great epistle in our series on Sunday evenings, the epistle of, of certainties. We have also mentioned that it is called the epistle of love, and we love to see the a here tonight. <laughs> it's good to see Janet and Larry. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ everywhere, those who are faithfully proclaiming the Gospel of Christ, as Larry is and has done, and he's a homeboy uh, right here and uh, well-loved and thought of, not only here, but but in so many places. In fact, in every place uh, where he has been. He's on his way to polishing the pulpit. You know, I was thinking as many times as he's going to have to be speaking up there, and then I, I read where Sheila Butt, uh, Kyle's mother, was going to be speaking to the ladies 11 times there, And uh, who knows how many times some of these, I think they need to change it to Punishing the Pulpit instead of Polishing the Pulpit because they're punishing these preachers. It's a great program, Polishing the Pulpit. We're looking forward to spending a couple of days uh, with uh, our loved ones up there and friends we haven't seen for a long time that come there each year. And uh, we will... Uh, hopefully be able to promote the good news today television program while we are there it's already set up the display is we're going to add a little bit to it uh, when we get there uh, tomorrow but uh, uh, we appreciate larry and the good work he does with his television program fountain of life when i was still with gbn uh, larry began that program and uh, very diligently made trips to Ringgold gold to the studios there now he has his own set up in Lithia Springs near Atlanta where he preaches, and I know that's much more convenient, but uh, uh, we appreciate that good program that is still aired not only on GBM, but now in Atlanta, I believe, too, on Commercial Station in in Atlanta now, Uh, and uh, we are thankful for that and thankful for the truth that Larry loves and preaches and the good that he does. It's good to have them with us tonight. You know, love for our brethren is something that is so crucial, and Without that love, we are about to see here and as we continue the study of 1 John, without that love as a basic foundation, every other Christian grace is deficient. It's just that, it is that foundational, it is that that crucial. And yet, tragically, love is so misapplied and misunderstood in the religious world. And there are those who contend that, yes, love is absolutely essential, absolutely crucial, but they separate it from the keeping of the commandments of God. The apostle of love, as he is often called, John, and we can see why from his writings here in 1 John and elsewhere, makes it abundantly clear that love and law are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they are mutually inclusive. And that you cannot love God without serving God in obedience to his commandments. That will be brought home to us, I think, very clearly in the passage under consideration tonight as we look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Here John writes, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. No new Commandment. Now, in verse six, the verse we finished with last time, John had written, "He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as He walked." And so, there the admonition had been to walk in emulation of the Christ, reminding us of First Peter two twenty-one, where Peter wrote, "For uh, to this uh, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow." his steps. In that context, the example of Christ was the example of his suffering, that we are to be certainly willing to emulate and to suffer for him. But we're to walk in every way with him, and a part of that walk, obviously, is to walk in love. And so, it is not new to these brethren to whom John penned this epistle that they should walk with Christ or love. Love is not a new commandment. And so the commandment to love is a commandment that has been with them uh, from from the beginning. It's the word which you heard from the beginning. And certainly that word would be to be followers of Christ, to walk with Christ. Love begins with the gospel, doesn't it? And so you cannot obey the gospel without knowing about love and without experiencing love to some degree, certainly. Now... That's the key though, that love, that love that is embraced initially in obedience to the gospel is a love that becomes fresh, as the late in Wood said, with every new experience. And it is a growing love. It is a developing love. Remember what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians? This I pray that you may increase and abound in love, one to another, for all men for that matter. But that love, that love is new in another respect. The commandment to love was a part of the old law, wasn't it? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said upon this, hang all the law and the prophets. In this, the law is fulfilled. And again, love is the key. Love is the key. But the newness that we see... In that commandment, in the next verse, when he writes, again, a new commandment I write to you, that commandment is love, but love new in its extent and in its measure. And John's gospel account records for us what Jesus said about this aspect, the newness of love. You remember what Jesus said, as John recorded in John chapter 13, verses 34? And 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. What is that commandment? That you love one another. Well, we just said that love is not a new commandment. Jesus knew that, obviously. But Jesus went on to say, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And there's the old commandment of love coupled with the new commandment, as John is writing about it here, that Jesus gave love to a depth, love to an extent, love in a measure that the world has never experienced or known until Jesus Christ manifested that love as he came and lived among men and sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary. There's the newness of the commandment to love. Love itself is not a new commandment. But the newness is seen in the ever-increasing development of love as we experience that love and grow in that love and emulate the walk that Jesus walked, back to verse 6, and develop and grow and increase and abound in that love. As he loved, we are to love. Now, Jesus Christ was perfect in love. He is deity. But he is nonetheless the standard for which we strive in terms of our love for one another. And our love for God and for Christ, obviously. But John is going to emphasize here in this text that we're looking at tonight and elsewhere in this great epistle. The absolute essentiality of deep and abiding love, not only for God and Christ, but for one another. And Jesus himself said what? In that same context... Of John 13, when we add verse 35, Jesus gets to the very subject that John is going to address in the text we're examining tonight. What does he say? By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for me. Well, certainly that would be involved. If you have love for the Father, certainly that would be involved. But that's not what Jesus emphasizes in that statement. He says, if you have love for one another. It has often been said, and rightfully so, that the badge of discipleship is love. And it is a magnetizing influence upon right-thinking people when they see members of the body of Christ who love one another with a love that is unlike anything this world has ever seen because it is a love that emulates the love of Christ for us as we walk in his steps and as we seek with every fiber of our being, to love as he loved and to show that love to one another. And oh, what a wonderful, wonderful experience it is to be a part of a congregation where every member of the body of Christ understands and fully appreciates the responsibility, the privilege, yes, to love one another as Jesus has commanded us to love one another. John goes on in this verse to say, true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away. The King James says is passed. The New King James says is passing away and the true light is already shining. With the coming of Christ and with the introduction of the gospel of Christ, there was an introduction of light into a world that was filled with darkness. And indeed, everywhere the gospel goes, it dispels that darkness and brings light. And it's our responsibility, since the light of the world, Jesus Christ, John eight twelve, is no longer in this world, to be the reflectors of that light of the world as his followers, and to take that light into a world that is still in darkness to a great extent, is it not? The darkness is not completely past. In John's day, there was darkness, the darkness of false teaching, the darkness of error, and in our day and time, there is still that darkness, but all the more reason for us to do all that we can to shed the light of the gospel in a sin-darkened world and to indeed bring the true light. That light that, thanks be to God, is already shining because of the sacrifice of Christ and the gospel that we have been privileged to obey if we're members of the Lord's body tonight. That true light is shining, and we are to let that light shine through us. Remember Matthew five sixteen, And then John writes, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Now John gets back to this subject that's so crucial, the subject that Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It will be impressed upon us if we study seriously this first epistle of John, just how absolutely important our relationship to one another is in the sight of God Almighty. And that if our relationship to one another is deficient, because we lack the love that God enjoins upon us, then we cannot be blessed by God, cannot be pleasing to God. It is just that crucial. And so it's one thing to profess, it's another to do. This is one of many hypothetical situations that John introduces in this epistle. You remember back in the verses we have already studied, he who says he abides in him, verse 6, ought to walk just as he walked. You go back to uh, verse uh, uh, six of uh, the first chapter, um, and verse six of the second chapter. But verse verse six of the first chapter: If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So here's another one of those contrasts that John draws throughout this epistle. Here it is: He who says he's in the light and hates his brother. In 1 John one six, if you say you have fellowship and walk in darkness, in other words, if your practice does not comport with your profession, then indeed you are not in fellowship with God. But here he specifies a part of that practice that must be in place properly if we are to enjoy that fellowship and to be in the light. What is that? Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The context here is not the context of love for all men, though certainly that kind of love is enjoined upon us. But here, the context would be love for those who are, brother, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we say that we are in the light and hate our brother or sister in Christ, we are still in darkness. And so, here John emphasizes another acid test of our true Christianity. Do we love one another? Do we really love one another? And is that love manifested in such a way as to show that we love one another? Or are we simply professing to love but not showing that love? And so if we say one thing but our attitude toward our brothers and sisters is not what it should be, then we're not pleasing to God. Now notice the contrast the contrast here is between light and darkness light and darkness he who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now let me ask you something where is the gray where's the gray in this verse there is no gray is there there is no gray area it's either light or darkness we either love one another as Christ has enjoined that love upon us, or we do not. And the hate is not a matter of degree, it's hate to any degree. It's hate to any degree that is condemned by John. Again, emphasizing just how important it is that we continue to nurture, to nurture and develop the kind of relationship and love for one another that is so special That those out here in the world see it and are drawn to it if they're thinking as they should, as we said earlier. That there is something very special about those people at White Oak. That's what the community needs to say, those who are aware of us. There's something so special about them. How they love one another. Oh, how they love one another. And how do people in this community or in any community where the church is located know that those in the church love one another. It is not by what they say only, but it is by what they do. And that reminds us of something we mentioned at the outset of our study tonight. There is no separation between loving one another and keeping the commandments of God. Those things are mutually inclusive. And I must show my love for you and you show my your love for me as a brother in Christ by what we do for one another, by how we act toward one another, by how we assist one another, by how we pray for one another, by how our actions demonstrate our love. If you go with me over to 1 John, later in this epistle at chapter 3, you see that John, as he he visits this subject again of love, says this in verse 14, beginning down through verse 18. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You see the strong emphasis again on the barometer, if you will, for our our having truly passed from death to life? How much do we love one another, John asked. There's the measurement. There's the measurement. There's the foundational measurement. But that love obviously feeds every other Christian grace. That's the point. That love prompts us to keep his commandments. That love causes us to act. John makes that abundantly clear as we read on in that part of his epistle. He says, after saying that that we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren, he who does not love his brother abides in death. Listen to what else he writes. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Those are strong words. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. You see, that gets us back to walking in his steps and loving as he loved. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, laying down your life for your brother or sister in Christ is a lot more than saying you love them, isn't it? That's laying a lot more on the line than just lip service, isn't it? That's life service, that's life sacrifice. That's what we are to be willing to do. That's the degree to which our love for one another is to develop so that we would indeed lay down our lives for each other. Now you tell me how much disharmony disharmony will occur in a congregation where brothers and sisters, every one of them, would lay down his or her life for the other. There won't be any envy. There won't be any malice. There won't be any gossiping. There won't be any backbiting. There won't be any hurtful attitudes and actions, will there? If indeed we understand and apply what we're studying here in this great epistle on the subject of love. Our mouths won't get ahead of our brains, will they? <laughs> no, we will think seriously. Indeed. About every word. About every action. And then he adds in verse 17 of 1 John 3, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And then verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. Now that's how we know that when we're looking at love here in the second chapter of 1 John, as the measuring stick, if you will, of our faithfulness to God, our love for one another as a measuring stick for our faithfulness to God, that that love is not some better-felt-than-told affection alone. It's affection coupled with action. That's what true biblical love involves. And so you can't divorce love from law-keeping, as we said earlier, as tragically many, yes, some in the church even seem to be intent on doing and telling us as long as we love one another and have that warm, fuzzy feeling for one another, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what we do in our worship. It doesn't really matter what we do. As long as we're happy with it and we love one another. No, if you love one another, you're going to be concerned about doing what God has commanded. The word commandment is used several times. Times I think from verses 3 through 8 in chapter 2, six times you find the word commandment. You find a lot about love, but you see that love is tied to the keeping of the commandments of God. And so he who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. But verse 10, he who loves, and that's in the present Tense, which means he keeps on loving his brother. He who keeps on loving his brother abides. That's also present, which means he keeps on abiding. Keeps on abiding. And incidentally, that word abide is used 11 times in chapter 2. Once it's translated as continued in the New King James in verse 19. But 11 times the idea of abiding. In other words, remaining. Settling in. (laughs) Settling in is the idea here. He who loves his brother has settled into the light. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And that's how important it is to manifest that love. And here's something else that's vitally important. Who of us wants to stumble? Who of us wants to fall away from the Lord? Well, John tells us, Here's the preventative. Here's the preventative. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. In whom? The brother whom you love? No, in this context, I think it's obvious it's in the brother who does the loving. You're not going to stumble if you have developed and are manifesting and are abiding in the light because you are loving as God has enjoined that love upon you, then there is no cause for stumbling. The likelihood of your falling away, if you have developed this degree of love and you're showing that love for your brothers and sisters, why, it just makes sense, doesn't it? That you're not going to be the one that's likely to leave the faith if your love is manifesting itself to that degree and in that way. Why, that'd be like just simply walking away one day out of the blue from your husband or wife whom you love more than your own life. And yet, you could consider just walking out of that relationship out of the blue one day, making that decision. What is the likelihood that if a marriage relationship has developed as God intended for for it to develop, what is the likelihood no matter what happens in that relationship of one of those two who are so glued to that relationship because they love one another so deeply, what's the likelihood of one of them walking out of that relationship? Very unlikely. By the same token, John reminds us here, it's very unlikely that you're going to stumble if you understand and apply the kind of love about which John writes for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I just want to walk away from those I've developed that kind of love for. Love you all so much, but I could leave you in a heartbeat. Well, of course not. Of course not. But what if we haven't developed that love? Then it becomes much easier for Satan to draw us away from the family of God. Oh this is such an important foundational basic fundamental quality about which John the apostle of love writes here no cause for stumbling now you can go back to Matthew 18:7 and you can see the contrasting stumbling that is spoken of there you remember in that uh in that chapter of Matthew 18 and uh, verse 7 uh, Jesus said, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. And the context there, going back to the early verses, makes it abundantly clear that he's talking about one of the little ones who believe. Whoever causes one of the little ones who believe in me to stumble, better for a millstone to be hung around his neck and to be sunk in the depth of the sea than to cause one of these little ones who believe on me to stumble. But here the context, I believe, indicates the one who is who is prevented from stumbling is the one... Who does the loving, who develops that love to the extent that he's very unlikely to fall away from the faith. But our final verse tonight, but he who hates his brother, three things here. He who hates his brother, what? Is in darkness, he walks in darkness, and he does not know where he's going. If we have not developed that love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're in darkness, not in the light. We're continuing to walk in that darkness, and we don't even know where we're going because that darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, we sing the song, I just happen to think, love lifted me. We could say, love lighted me. (laughs) Love lighted me. Love lit me up. Love is what brings me into the light. The kind of love about which John writes, love brings us into the light. Because love reveals to us that light of the world, Jesus Christ, who loved us so much. You know, it's interesting that This word blinded is the very same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Where he talks about those who have not obeyed the gospel of Christ. And he speaks of them as being those whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Same word. Has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light, and there's our light again, unless the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Those alien sinners out in the world are blinded by the God of this age, Satan, in various ways. He's subtle, and he has blinded the minds of many tragically. But the one in the church who has not developed the kind of love about which john writes and actually has hostility or hatred toward his brother has been blinded also and is in that darkness as well the psalmist in psalm 82 in verse 5 makes a statement that very reminiscent of what john writes here they do not know talking about the wicked. They do not know nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness all the foundations of the earth are unstable. They do not know they do not understand and oh how John writes by inspiration to help us understand just how vitally important this basic grace is and if it does not exist in our lives the foundation for the other graces is not there. Oh, I understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and that we must first believe, obviously. And Peter writes in 2 Peter 1 that we're to add to our faith, virtue, virtue knowledge, etc., and, and then love, the crowning characteristic. But there's a rare, real sense in which love is a foundational characteristic as well. That it is to permeate our lives to the extent that every other grace every other grace is manifested because of love and motivated by love. Remember Second Corinthians five, fourteen and fifteen? For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. That's love. That's love that motivates. That's love that feeds every other beautiful Christian quality. And when we obey the gospel of Christ, we obey into that love. Look with me at one passage that brings that home. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, through the teaching of the Spirit obviously, look at this, in sincere love of the brethren, that word in is the word into, it's the word ace, into. So what's Peter saying here? I think it ties in beautifully with what John is telling us about love. He says, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit into, into what? Into a relationship where there is sincere love of the brethren. What should you do? Love is the old commandment from the beginning of the gospel, but it becomes new with every refreshing experience of it and as it grows and as it intensifies and as we apply ourselves to it love one another fervently with a pure heart you obeyed the gospel into a relationship of sincere love for one another and if that sincere love is not there then something's wrong something's wrong Let's make sure that we do everything we can to feed upon that which will increase and intensify that love. Not just for God and Christ, but oh, that love for one another. A bond that is like no other because of the special relationship that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting that in that verse we've just cited from 1 Peter 1, 22, When he says, in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in or into sincere love, that's Philadelphia love there, into Philadelphia love, brotherly love. Then when he says, love one another fervently, he uses the word agape, the highest form of love, which tells us what? Peter is saying what? You need it all for one another. You have a special brotherly relationship and you're to love one another with that special brotherly love but you're also to love one another with that highest form of love, agape love, which does that which is best for the one who is the object of that love. Oh, oh how important love for one another is and the apostle of love brings that home in such clear fashion, doesn't it? As we close tonight, do you love the Lord enough to obey him if you haven't obeyed his gospel? Love begins with the gospel and grows once one has come into that beautiful relationship with Christ and with those of like precious faith. You must believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Repent of your sins. Confess him to be the Christ and be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. He who believes and is baptized, Jesus said, will be saved. It's very clear, isn't it? Repent or perish. Believe that I am he or die in your sins. Confess me and I'll confess you. That beautiful, simple, but absolutely essential plan is one that must be obeyed, and hopefully obeyed because of a recognition of the love of heaven that brought that plan to mankind and gave man the opportunity to be reconciled to a sinless God, though man himself had separated himself by sin. That's love. That's love to which we should respond. As John will elsewhere write in this first epistle, we love him because he first loved us. Will you show that love by obeying his gospel tonight if you haven't? And if you need to come home to your first love, as one who has left that love and lost that love and walks in darkness as a result, repentance confession of any sin that needs to be confessed publicly that will bring you into that beautiful relationship once again that you once enjoyed and allow you again to know that love and to show that love for the Lord and for your brothers and sisters in Christ who love you deeply and will welcome you home with open arms as we stand to sing will you come